Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 109. Sling spells, swing swords, fire bullets, listen to podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to episode 109. This is Albert. This is Julius. How's it going? Going well. All right. How's your weekend going? Having any holiday adventures? Um, a little bit. What we went up to apple picking. We go every year, right around my daughter's birthday, and uh, she had a birthday recently, so we went this weekend, and that was a lot of fun. Um, neat. Mm-hmm. I I am copying you. I had a, a little bit of a car crash last week. Oh man, I'm <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I heard Julius is doing it. I'm gonna try it. <laughs> I don't recommend no, it. No, you know, in hindsight, I should have avoided it. But, you know, probably. It wasn't my fault. Somebody, I was driving on the road, somebody made a left turn in front of me, and I was not able to avoid him. Ouch. Yep. But anyway, that goes on. So, have you been gaming much? Yeah, I actually have been gaming a bunch recently. Not only has my daughter wanted to go on a run on some of the old things, she wanted to play a cop. She wanted to play through Flashpoint Fire Rescue recently. Neat. And she wanted to play through um, uh, Forbidden Desert. And again, my daughter is six. So when she, I say she, that really means she just wants to sit and enjoy <laughs> me playing it. Um, so I got to play some Flashpoints recently. I got to play some Forbidden Desert, but I've also been playing some newer games. I got to play The Networks recently. I got to play Vast Crystal Cavern. I got to play, what new to me, um, Freedom of the Underground Railroad. Um, I almost got to play the new second edition Mansions of Madness. So I've actually got a bunch of games in, um, solo games in since, uh, last, last episode. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You've been busy. That's, that's yeah, it's been good. Yeah, I've barely had time to game at all. I started a game of Shadowrun recently that didn't. I got about halfway through it and had to put it away for dinner. Um, I've been trying to read the rules for um, Guilds of London, and I've made it through about half of the rules, but just haven't had time to do more than that. I recently got a copy of uh, Hostage Cards. I'm showing this to Julius on the camera so nobody else could see it, but trust me. Um, for Hostage Negotiator, this is a print-and-play expansion Kevin made for, for the game Hostage Negotiator, Kevin Kitchens. I won a copy, and he sent it to me, and these cards are really nice. They're printed, and they have characters, um, different hostages. So every time you rescue a person, you can flip it over and see who you rescued, or when somebody gets shot you could, or killed, I don't know how they died, you can find out who it is. So it makes the game a little bit more thematic. I haven't played with him yet because I have not had time to game, but I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Kevin. Uh- are they available in an on-demand print place or something like that? They or? are, yes. That he, I don't remember which one he used, but if you go find the expansion on the Hostage Negotiator page, I'm pretty sure there's a link to the to the print-on-demand service. You're looking it up? Yep. Yeah, you can actually pick up a copy of this. If you're looking to print it off yourself, you can get a copy of the Hostage Cards PDF on the BGG website under the hostage negotiator, or you can also actually go to the game crafter and you can, um, for $5, get a printed copy of the expansion and actually have the expansion yourself. Yep. That's right. Um, Oh, there we go. I'm adjusting my volume. Um, so yeah, I, I look forward to trying them. Unfortunately, they don't fit in my box right now because I got all the current expansions. So I got, I guess I gotta wait for the next Kickstarter to ship. And then everything will fit nicely. 
<laughs> stuff doesn't fit in your box. Really? Yeah. What do you have all your stuff sleeved? I have all the cards sleeved. Yep. Ah, that explains it. Okay, I don't have my stuff sleeved. But all the sleeved cards fit in there. It's very snug, but they fit. Actually, they might be able to fit them. Come to think of, because there's a fourth compartment that just has dice and and hostages and hostage and abductors. So maybe it could fit with that. I don't know. I will try it anyway. Um, what else? I haven't played. Oh, I've got a little bit of news talking about hostage negotiator. I don't think this is that recent, but we had to mention it before. Um, it is now going to be available in an international language. I think in, it was in German. Is German an international language? It is if you're not in Germany. Then isn't English also an international language? Yes, because we're not in England. You're right. Good point. So it's already printed in an international language. It's not going to be a second. <laughs> That's just terrible. Well, we're such amateurs. That's what I love about this show. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just making it easy to make sure that Albert thoroughly knows that he said something stupid. Oh, you know, I know I do. And that's okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. We love you, Albert. We love you. Anyway, now that we're done picking on each other. Mm-hmm. What else? I don't have any other news. I haven't been playing anything else. Um, Definitely not solo. I don't think there is any news. Oh, wait. Oh, no. Said that. Let's see. Let's see if there is news. Actually, I'm sure there is. I know that there's been some game releases and announcements. Oh, there's a, you know, speaking of uh, Guilds of London, right, which I'm reading the rules, there is going to be a a solitaire only, there is a solitaire only variant for it by Ricky Royal. And apparently if you pick up the game at Essen, there's going to be a free promo card you could get with it. I think you have to pre-order it for Essen. I'm not sure. You want to check the... Well, you can check the guild, but I'm guessing if you check the Guilds of London page, you'll see it there. But it's a, a card that's solitaire only for that game. Neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've also seen some other uh, newer games coming back. I think it's uh, convention season also, or just summer season. I'm seeing a lot of new games getting releases, uh, many of them coming out solitaire friendly, too. Yeah. It's just a lot. You know, do you think there's too many solitaire games coming out right now? I cannot keep up with all the games. Why would you? I mean, <laughs> I, well, I don't think okay. I need to play every single game out there. Are there too many? I'm games happy that coming there's out? a lot of choice. In terms of how are you saying that? Are you saying in terms of more than the hobby can reasonably support? Are we having more games than can really that- be purchased, and therefore <laughs> we're expecting many games to just fail? Or- yeah, basically. I mean, it, it, you know, well, probably, is yeah. it a thousand games a year probably coming out? It sure, it must be. It seems like it. I don't know. I'm, well, I mean, I'm making how many up good numbers. games. How many good games a year? Probably hard to tell. It's definitely mo- there are more good games coming out than I can play. I mean, even there's a number of solitaire games that come out in a year that even I don't get to play, and I try and play, a, you know, a lot of them. But there's still more coming out in a year than I have the ability to pick up and play, both in terms of you know funds in addition to time. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of games coming out there, and but I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that any of these companies are not getting the support. I think that the number of customers continues to grow in addition. That's true. It, it just seems like a lot of the games are are almost retreads of other games. I don't know. I was just thinking about the idea. Like, there's so many games I want to play, but I can't. Can't keep up with it. 
That's okay. You're right. It is okay. <laughs> it's just, it's just amazing. I don't know. Tangent question there. Thank you. Very tangential, but it's also it's a very hard thing to tell. But I don't see too many of these companies going under. That's really it could that's a good point. To. Yeah, as long as I, I think that I think that maybe we see a lot of games coming out that are perhaps being released too early. We see a lot of people going to Kickstarter instead of um, you know getting necessarily more knowledge and more information and getting more development time into their games. So we see more of those. But on the other hand, I think we see also more good games coming out too i don't think it's a bad thing i think as long as things aren't coming under i think we're okay i don't think we're about to hit a bubble that's gonna burst <laughs> okay all right that I, I you're probably right it, it doesn't seem like it me and so what is next on the show um well why don't we talk about some kickstarter stuff okay let's do that we did mention kickstarter just now so there you go there's a segue we don't have a lot of Kickstarter games this time around, but there, there's one I backed called a uh, Card Rogue, which I'm excited about because it's a it's a roguelike game. Are you familiar with roguelikes? Uh, explain to me what a roguelike is. I believe so. Okay. Explain to me because I've only known them in video game context. Yeah, well, that's in video game context. It's it's a generally an RPG that you play. Um, they they started coming out probably in the 70s, I think, um, and back then especially they were very very simple graphic. As a matter of fact, the character would be an ampersand or an ad symbol, and all the monsters would be different characters like that or asterisk or whatever. So, so it was very low-quality graphics. But the point of the game was you went into a dungeon exploring, trying to find some treasure and delving deeper and deeper to the dungeon to find your treasure and get out alive. However, you have exactly one life, and if you die, game over. You get to start right. over. Right. The One of the staples of a roguelike, to my understanding, is that death is permanent death is permanent you only get one shot and the game is but hard. i've usually seen that i've usually seen that in you know tabletop gaming also i don't think you normally have multiple lives i mean you may have a certain amount of health but i don't think that in roguelikes there's not health i think you still have health in many roguelikes too but i mean you know warhammer adventure card game Warhammer because adventure card game you only get one life mm, okay and then there's other games like, uh, say, Elder Sign, where if your character dies, well, just grab another one and keep going. <laughs> it's a little bit of everything. Um, I hear that. So this has that permadeath sort of thing, and it also has a dungeon exploring, which looks neat. It's a very simple-looking game. It's a tile-laying game. You're, you're laying the tiles and building the dungeons you go. That's another thing about roguelikes. They tend to be procedurally created um, and random, so every time the you play the game, the dungeon's completely different. It's not like you play a game and now you've figured out half the map and where some of the monsters are. Next time you play, it's going to be entirely different. And monsters you came across in the first play may not show up in the second play until later on in the dungeon, for example. Um, now, this one won't have a procedural dungeon, but it'll be random because you're drawing it from a deck. But again, it'll have that, that you know, you can't predict what's going to happen because it is... It's randomly generated. Is I mean, do you, can you win? I've I've seen some roguelikes that are just a matter of you keep going, keep going until you lose. Oh, um, is, is this one that the goal is just to keep going? I have not looked into this one enough to find out what the goal is, 
Most of the roguelikes I've played, they are winnable. I'm going to give you a hint. Stop. I'm going to give you a hint. If you look at the fact, look at what's the difference between solo play and multiplayer. Oh, let's go look at the fact. Fact. And then we can cut this out and make you seem more intelligent. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, I don't find the fact. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Okay. So, yeah, in in this... In the game, there is an end. You're trying to make it to the boss and hopefully beat it. So, I mean, so that's similar to most roguelike games I've played. Most of the video games, they'll have like 30 or 40 levels or more, but if you make it to the end, you actually can beat the boss. I've only actually ever made it to the boss in one game, and I never finished. And that's one that I've played on my Android. I don't remember the name of it now, but it's a neat one. I'd say it's Pocket Dungeon or something like that. So anyway, so this game is... Something interesting about this, it looks like they're saying that they're not going to have a printed rulebook, that they're just going to have a rulebook on the website. Really? Well, like I said, I haven't looked that closely into it. That's, that's different. Maybe the rulebook is a yeah. stretch go? They're saying the rulebook and additional material will be accessible from the Cardberg website. The rulebook will use reference links and other digital capabilities to improve the typical paper rulebook reading experience. <laughs> That's interesting. So I'm not sure if that means that they're not going to want a printed rulebook or that they're going to include a printed rulebook also. I don't know. That'd, that'd be strange if the game didn't bring the rulebook. That's unusual. I mean, it cuts down a little bit on the cost of the game by doing that, but I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> I just don't think that's a good idea. But I mean, they don't really... I don't think they list on their website on the Kickstarter what's included in the box. Yeah, I don't know. It it's inter- it does sure sound it sure does sound like it's the digital rulebook only. The box includes four characters, 150 cards, 20 unique items, player tokens, die, reference sheet, and everything else needed. Okay, so I guess it does include what's needed in the box, but I guess it doesn't include the rules in the box. Hmm. But I would certainly appreciate seeing a bit more. The cards, it looks like you have tile cards that build up your path and with encounters along the way. Yep. So I would appreciate seeing, you know, what, what's the size of these cards? They look pretty small. They look small. They look like about, there's a picture of a die in there and it looks about a little more than two dice wide. Looks to be like about three by three. I don't Three by three dice, you mean? Three by three inches. I don't think so. I think it's smaller than that. Really? Yeah. Right, maybe. It's very hard to tell. But I mean, it's only a $19 game. So I'd expect the game to be um, smaller in size. And I don't think that it... It doesn't look like it's going to be hindered by its size. I don't think that it's going to be... You know, it's not a mage knight... But I don't think it's hindered by its size. It looks like it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. It does. It looks like it'll be interesting. It'll, it'll be a light game. It's going to be very, very deep and thinky. It'll be a, a light dungeon crawl. So anyway, so that's Card Rogue. $19. And when does it end? Hopefully 19 days from today. So where's the end date? September, September 24th. 24th. And then September 24th. And again, it's $19 to get your copy. 
So that's Card Road. The other one we want to talk about is Victoriana. Now, Victoriana was up on Kickstarter a while back. And when it was up on Kickstarter the last time, I commented that, you know, they were missing some what I thought were essential things from their Kickstarter. Um, a better explanation of the rules, a better, some other reviewer videos and some other things on the, on some, you know, better zoom ups of the graphic design. So they actually ended up taking down their last Kickstarter. And on the 19th, which is in a couple of days from this, it's going to come live. They're going to be, um, starting up a new Kickstarter, a second Kickstarter. Um, they're going to have some more reviewers and they're going to have some more, uh, you know, some, hopefully fix some of the issues of the last Kickstarter. This is a game that I'm personally really excited to see come up on the Kickstarter. It looks really interesting to me. I think that a lot of the stuff they're doing in it is going to make a very interesting game. And we've actually uh, had an interview with them, talk with them more about the game. So let's go ahead and hear from the designers of the game. All right. So I'm here talking with BJ Gailey and Brad Lawrence about themselves and their upcoming game, Victoriana, which uh, I think is due to come on to Kickstarter in mid-September. Is that right? September 13th. September 13th. Very cool. And you both are have been gamers for a while. How'd you guys get into gaming? Hmm. <laughs> BJ, you want to take that one? Uh, yeah, I'll take that one. Uh, Brad and I... Uh, both grew up gaming to a certain extent. Brad's a big RPGer, and uh, I was coming up as well. My family are uh, gamers. My dad had all the old 3M bookshelf games growing up. Um, Brad and I went to college together, and uh, one of the things we used to spend a lot of time, probably too much time doing, was playing Magic <laughs> the Gathering. And uh, so we spent a lot of time playing that together, and we eventually branched out into hobby games, and we've been playing ever since. All right. So you guys have known each other for quite a while then. Yeah, 20 some odd years. What, 1996? 96. So. Yeah. So. Do you guys still live in the same area when you were doing this game? Mm, more or less. He's in Chicago. I'm about three hours south. So, how did you guys work together making Victoriana? Mm. <laughs> uh. You you take this one, Brad. Yeah, a lot, I mean, lots of lots of emails, lots of calls, lots of texts, and then we would try to get together at least once a weekend, every couple months or so, and just spend the whole weekend designing and brainstorming and and doing those sorts of things. I mean, that's why the game took four years to <laughs> to make. <laughs> yeah, and once we had a, a workable prototype, then we each individually took it out for testing, played it with other groups took it to local meetups and such. Did you both have to make the prototypes or you guys shared that responsibility? Tried to share it as much as we could. Uh, I think my father, his company does a lot of, does a lot of paper products and, and graphic design stuff. So we were actually able to, I was, I was able to pull some family strings and get my father's place to produce the prototypes for us. And then I, I tried to distribute as best I could. Yeah. Did they also do the graphic design? And no, that's all no. Ian O'Toole. Yeah. We're definitely familiar with a lot of the, a lot of his games. I know he has a, uh, Oh yeah. Most war coming up, various other things. Yep. Yep. It's, How did uh, you guys find, Oh, we, 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 we found Ian off, off Board Game Geek. 
we did sort of a, a search through the forums of people posting their work and contacted how many, three or four, I guess, who yeah. we were especially excited about and uh, got a quote. And, you know, it just seemed like a great fit. And I think Ian's other work, uh, you know, you can see that like working on Nemo. I think he did a little bit on the second edition of Study in Emerald. Uh, he, he fits really well in this time period and this sort of uh, romantic adventure style. I think what really sold us on him too was he he also does the he doesn't just do illustration work he does graphic design so to have somebody who could do both of those things yeah and we 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 didn't have to contact somebody and try to wed two styles together or negotiate back and forth was I mean that was that made it such an easy decision. So do you guys play games together also or? just designed together at this point oh yeah uh, no it, when we get together these weekends you know they they've be, they become more and more frequent and we really have to sort of at times make ourselves sit down and say okay no we have to work we can't spend the whole weekend you know getting through the new time stories expansion or something you know it's so we, <laughs> we have to balance our time it's it's, it's difficult it's especially problematic because we're both big fans of the new Rebellion game and the new Star Trek Frontiers game, and both of those are like four-hour endeavors. Yeah. yeah. So we'll get together, and we'll you know, twelve hours go by. We played three games, and we got we didn't we weren't very productive. So, <laughs> so is this the first game you guys put together to get uh, as a collaboration with you guys? We've actually done other games. Um... And other and multiple versions actually. This this version of Victoriana represents sort of our third attempt at the same material. Um, it's just that the others, you know, they they maybe worked and we maybe enjoyed them, but we didn't feel like they were anything special. Victoriana, almost from the minute we had this version working, we we sort of locked eyes. I remember after we finished the the sort of first alpha test, and we were like, this is something, right? This is something different than we've made before. Um, and that's what's motivated us to push through, you know, to the Kickstarter. So let's talk a bit about the game, focusing on it. Can you describe the theme and the story around Victoriana? Yeah, it's a dark conspiracy threatens the continent of Europe, specifically the country of England. And you, as a player, take charge of... Victorian characters, fictional and non-fictional, and team up with your fellow friends and do do your best to put an end to it, stop it, and hopefully along the way, enjoy some thematic elements from the time period, some some tense gaming moments, and a lot of awesome decision points. So, is your game more about the history of the of the story or about the fantasy of the story? And I say this because I'm personally a fan of both but you know there are some games that really highlight the history like lewis and clark Mm. or freedom the underground railroad that really Uh, bring out history and tell you and educate you is that what you're looking for you guys looking for more of the fantasy i it's we we really tried to split it 50 50 it's certainly not as um uh, like freedom is a favorite of mine and it's highly educational like i could use freedom in the classroom you know, uh, Victoriana, we always went to the source material uh, for each of the literary characters we used for the historical landmarks. We all we did our research on that, but there's also stuff that 
<laughs> as we developed the game, we were like, well, this is really our version of history. Um, so there's some definitely fantastical elements and obviously player choice may make things play out differently than it did historically speaking. Yeah. I think the fun of, of, of enjoying the fantasy of that period has got to be rooted in the history of it. You enjoy playing around in that period because of the historical elements. And we were really specific, especially with Ian. If you haven't seen pictures of the board, you'll see it on the Kickstarter there's different spaces that represent different London locales. And we were really specific about making those locales look as close to the historical counterparts as, as they possibly could, because we really wanted to capture that feel. Well, I think that most of our uh, listeners have probably seen, I know we mentioned it when you guys were running your Kickstarter the first time. So the board and the card design and everything was already up from mm-hmm. your first run at Kickstarter. Has it changed significantly this time? The campaign has certainly seen some major revisions in some key areas. We've added a, a lot of things that were requested last time, reviews and uh, specific design contents. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but yeah, it's changed. I mean, obviously the the core of the game and, and all that, that's still there, but we, we've tried our best to adapt our initial efforts toward what people were, were wanting to see more of. Yeah. Well, uh, as far as core gameplay... I mean, the rules have been static for Victoriana, minus, you know, a cleanup here or a cleanup there for the last two years. Uh, What we've developed this second campaign is a couple of much requested pieces of additional content. There is an add-on that allows for a more narrative experience, uh, whereas the core base game of Victoriana is this extremely thematic resource management game, essentially. Um... Graphic design and art, we have more of it, but the only thing that's really changed is our approach to the way the lead cards are laid out. And uh, this actually came from a suggestion made by Rado. Uh, he, he, in his re- review and overview of the game, he talked about, oh, I, I, it, it, it'd be great if the leads could have a little bit more um, sort of set dressing on them, uh, thematic context. And we've actually altered the lead card physical layout to represent that change. So for those of us who aren't familiar with how the mechanics of the game run, I know you just now mentioned the lead cards and the mm-hmm. agent cards. How exactly do you play the game? Well, players take control of Victorian characters. Uh, a lot of them are going to be from fiction, ones you're going to recognize. And at the start of the game, you've got a set amount of time until the clocks, until Big Ben chimes midnight to discover three elements of the conspiracy, the mastermind, the locale, and the plot. And the board is seated with leads. And they're cards, they could be events, they're different things around the London area that you have to move your investigators to and uncover. And once you get there, each player, each character has a certain amount of resources to denote their influence within realms of British society. You've got things like Underworld, which is like crime, and some of the seedier elements of, of, of life in the 19th century. You've got politics, which is high society and government, science, occult, and these different leads will play into these one or multiple of these four areas. And so as players, you have to decide how do you spend your resources, which leads do you pursue, which ones do you let go cold, 
And as you're doing this, the game responds by inserting henchmen and agents into play to stymie you. You have to deal with them. There's a lot of chaos going on, and you have to decide where do you focus your efforts? Do you focus on leads? Do you focus on covering the plots, the masterminds? Do you spread out throughout the city to uncover the locale? There's a lot of decisions you have to make and a lot of things you're going to have to respond to before time runs out. Yeah. Uh, Once you've actually successfully uncovered the three elements, then you actually enter uh, the final confrontation of the game, which still has to take place before the clock chimes midnight, but every element of the conspiracy reflects a certain number of resources and a certain combination of resources that players then must have in their possession or rush around the city trying to collect. They meet at the location of the conspiracy, pool their resources, and then either win or lose, uh, depending on if they've able to successfully collect those resources before time hits. So leads are defeated by resource. Mm -hmm. Um, Henchmen are also defeated by resource. Everything is defeated just by having the resources in the right place? Uh, There's a number of different resources at work. We have those four uh, spheres, essentially, which are, as Brad said, underworld, occult, etc. Those are the resources that you use to follow up leads. Now, once you follow up a lead, you have a choice to make. You can either gain evidence from that lead, and once you collect enough evidence, that's what you use to get past henchmen. Or you can gain deductions, depending on how much and what combination of resources you spend. And that's what you use to eliminate leads, or uh, pardon me, plots. So leads are obviously a key part of gameplay, but just getting past a lead, you still have that decision, okay, well, what do I want to focus on? What do I need to focus on in this moment? So it's not about the uh, deductive aspect of the game. It's about just getting the right resources in order to be able to remove cards from all the right places. Yes, right? that is that is correct. And choosing which order you want to remove those cards in. Um, player success partially determines when the agents of the conspiracy are dispatched. And they block avenues on the board. They traumatize you. They actually take your resources at times. Um you know, like any good co-op game, there's a lot of ways to lose and really only one way to win. Uh, the agents accelerate a lot of those avenues, uh, those loss aspects. What do you feel is the most unique mechanic in your game? I mentioned earlier that leads can go cold. When when a lead hits the table, you'll roll. players will roll dice and it will determine how fresh a lead might be. And when you place the card near the board, how it's oriented, it will be at either 12, a 3 o'clock, or a 6 o'clock position based upon the dial on the back of the card. That determines how many turns the players have to go to where that lead is in London. And as Big Ben chimes and as the clock turns, you actually physically rotate the card to, des- to denote that time's passing. And as the card hits 12 o'clock, leads fly off the table and a cold lead track accelerates. So the actual physical and tactile movement of the cards and how time interacts with them, I think is, uh, that's the mechanic I think that we are most proud of. And I think the most unique for the game. Yeah. How big are those cards? Oh, they're uh, standard uh, bridge size cards. Bridge size, not even poker size. No, no bridge size, I believe. Um, And, 
what happens when a lead either comes off the board or when you take it? Does something happen if you let it go cold or you just discard it? Yes. Sometimes you'll just discard. Uh, sometimes uh, it, it may have a, an increased negative effect. Some, something else may happen. It really depends on the card. We try to inject a, a large amount of variety to the leads to make to make sure it isn't you're not always doing the same thing over and over yeah there's there's nearly a hundred leads in the game and everyone is actually unique and are all the plot cards the agent cards and everything else also unique for each one that is correct so there's a lot of a lot of unique abilities uh a lot of differing costs uh it, it, it took a lot of balancing but we're very happy with uh the final product yeah and we, and we tried to pick plots that reflected what was going on at the time <laughs> whether it's the spirit of the era or i think one of the plots is corrupting the the silver standard i think in the in in the kingdom things like that so we, we tried to make them as unique and as flavorful as we could and you said that there are 20 plots in the game yeah that is correct with with additional add-ons actually too because one of the things you asked about the kickstarter one of the things that the, the relaunch is going to feature one of the things that was requested were uh, add-on packs and the one that we've got for the Kickstarter is going to be the, the time traveler and he's got a, a special unique plot that revolves around forestalling the future and our hope is that we can because of how modular the game is if, if, if it's successful we can in the future include expansions that allow you to swap plots out or swap characters out or even masterminds so you can always be adding and changing play. So you guys are already planning expansions? <laughs> we're, trying, well, we're trying not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we did have a couple of uh, ideas that after the first campaign, after we ended it, we sent out a, a backer poll asking, you know, what do you want to see on the relaunch? And people wanted to see an option to experience it in a more narratively engaging way and people wanted some special content that was just for the Kickstarter. And so that's what we've developed with the time traveler and uh, the other add on pack. So the time traveler is an add on or it's mm -hmm. a free bonus. It's, it's an add on uh, that features five cards, all connected to HG Wells, the time machine, including a new investigator, the, in the form of the time traveler. Cool theming. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun to make, actually. And what do you mean when you're trying to make it more narrative? How did you accomplish that goal? All right. Uh, so the game is very thematic, right? But mechanically, it's essentially about managing all these different types of resources, player abilities, uh, the four spheres, managing your time, managing the leads on the board. Uh, and a, a number of people mentioned, they were like, I, I want more. I want more of this world, but I want almost like a storytelling experience. We we don't didn't think the game could support a full storytelling experience, but we did think that we could create a unique narrative set in this world that still had moments uh, that allowed players to choose their course of action throughout essentially three straight games, a, a mini campaign of playing Victoriana, um, and that's what the other add-on is. It's called The Ripper Returns, and obviously it focuses on the return of Jack the Ripper to 1899 London. And how mechanically did you make that to 
more of a narrative while still having all of the other themes and elements you had before. Basically, what we did is we structured it um, similar to similarly to the way a, any game of Victoriana plays out in sort of three acts. Uh, but each act is a full game in this narrative pack. It, it tells a story, a specific story through prose and illustrations, and at various points in the story introduces almost many games, uh, sort of remixed core mechanics and new mechanics that pr- present a, a unique version of Victoriana to experience, all leading up to Act 3, which is... A more or less standard game of Victoriana, but it's changed based on player success and failure uh, in Acts 1 and 2. So if they successfully investigated one avenue in Act 1, they may see a bonus in Act 3. Whereas if they failed one of their tasks in Act 2, they may have an additional hurdle to clear in Act 3. So it's a full campaign game that lasts across multiple games, across three games. Yep, that's correct. And there's actually some replayability built in. It's not a one-and-done type situation. And when you were looking for an art style, I mean, I appreciate a lot of the art that goes into it. I know you have a couple sample cards up that were in your old Kickstarter. Can you describe that art style? What were you looking to evoke with uh, that? I think the word... The word that kept coming to mind for us was daguerreotype, which is if you know anything a about daguerreotype. Yeah, it's it's those those old sepia colored sort of pseudo photographs from the time. It used it used plates, and I forget what like chemically treated plates instead of film. They have a very distinctive look to them, and I kept we we kept talking about that that kind of look and you can see it if you look at some of the card backs and and actually the the board it looks like a gigantic daguerreotype and all of that was drawn by ian or told match yeah yeah it was um uh, one of the things we really liked about ian was that his 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 characters especially their faces are very striking they're they're angular in a way that i i actually think fits the period very well you know um Victoriana, the Victorian period was all about duality, right? It was all about how light and dark coexisted in humans. And, you know, depending on sort of how you look at each of Ian's illustrations, you can kind of see something beautiful, but also something maybe that has some harsh edges to it. And I I really liked that. He's also great, great with nailing the period in terms of all the little ornamentation that the Victorians mm. liked. Uh, he really knows his stuff, and he, he did a lot of research when he was designing it. So can you give us some example of some of those leads? Oh, sure. Yeah, the the leads from the base game. Um, each lead card essentially has one, two, or three avenues of investigation. Um, each avenue has its own combination of resources, and that could be those four spheres. It could be traumatizing yourself it could be advancing another lead sort of winding it forward and making it grow closer to going cold um one of the ones we're going to feature as art in the relaunch i believe is called unknown uh unknown element is that is that what it is brad that we're featuring yep unknown element and it's you know it represents the investigators stumbling upon a hidden lab and there's this some sort of some sort of substance in a beaker and you have to decide, okay, well, what do I want to do? Do I, do I feel 
like I can test it myself? Do I have the science skill to do that? Uh, do I want to turn it over to government control? Or am I brave enough to actually sample it myself and uh, see how that affects your character? In this case, it would give you these wild resources that you can use for essentially a number of tasks. What components uh, are you guys including in the game? Anything of note? Well, we do feature custom dice, a few custom dice for this game, because when you are investigating leads and you have to determine where new leads land, you'll be rolling special dice, including a clock face die and a die that corresponds with the different spheres of influence. So those will be unique. Uh, We're also, one of our stretch goals, which we're really excited about, we hope we get there, is minis for all the investigators. Blueprints, mini blueprints, I should say, not the actual minis themselves, because that's a that's a that's a, a shipping and big expense Kickstarter <laughs> nightmare. But but the blueprints to produce them, uh, and we've actually we've actually had one done, or we've had a couple done already, and they look fantastic. So we're hoping we get those. What that people will print them on their own three D printer type things, like Thingiverse or things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like Shapeways. Yeah, that's a neat little stretch goal. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a nice balance because you know. Brad and I were like, oh, we would love to have miniatures of these characters. But uh, as first-time first time creators, we didn't know if we wanted to tackle miniatures on our first project. Otherwise, it uses standees or pawns for the main characters? Mm-hmm. They have pawns included and appropriate colors for each of the investigators. And future investigators are going to have their own pawns, or is that based on, on player character? Uh, the investigators get a color of pawn based on their specialty. Each character is especially good in one of the four spheres. So uh, now that being said, you could choose to play two people who are really good at science, and then you would have uh, just choose an off-color pawn to represent one of them. And was there any games that were you know a source of inspiration for you when you guys were developing this? Well, it's hard to talk co-ops and not think and not talk about pandemic at some point or another. I feel like that that game has been on the map now for several years, and we certainly played our fair share of it. I, I, it certainly Victorian is very different than that, but I, I it certainly I, I feel like that's the game that got us started on the co-op track. Would you agree? BJ? I would totally agree. Um, and then you know, Brad and I still when we game. You know, 75% of what we play is co-ops, I feel like. Uh, Ghost Stories has been hugely influential to us. Uh, that's a, That remains a favorite. So how many players, what's the player count for your game? One to four. And are you putting it, is there a dedicated solo mode or players share characters for that? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> there isn't as of yet, but that has been a request. And we are we are certainly talking about it. It's on the list of things to... To figure out, as it stands, it would be one player playing two or more, but you could still definitely play it by yourself. Yeah, playing two-handed is is no great challenge, I don't think. I assume there's not like a lot of interaction between the characters, or how much interaction does that cause? Mm, there is interaction in that you can share evidence that one player has, you can share resources, but that requires the usage of special locales on the board. Um, there's no hidden information. Uh, between characters so it's it's easily soloable and i play it solo a lot 
I imagine. <laughs> um, are you guys big solo gamers or uh, mm. multiplayer mostly? I'm n- I'm not so much. Uh, BJ, you're more solo. Yeah, more of a solo player than I am. I am. I I really feel like I've gotten into solo gaming the last two three years. Um, so I I do spend a fair amount of time, even though. I get to play with Brad. My wife plays games. My family plays games. I have, you know, some friends in town. But still, there's a few games that I'm just like, no, I want to experience that myself, just myself. So, Well, Victoria, it definitely sounds like one that would be a lot of fun for us to be soloing here. Nice. I know I'm a big fan of co-ops, even if you have to play uh, two hands. Honestly, I don't mind that for many of my games. I think it enhances the amount of uh, interaction you can create in the game by playing it two-handed like that. I, I, I agree with that. I actually, uh, I was listening to uh, an earlier episode where you were talking about Samurai Spirit, and I believe you said you played that three-handed? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a fun mode for that game, I think. Well, I, I have ghost stories on my iPad, and I play that. <laughs> I play that solo all the time. <laughs> Digital gamers. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you need a fix, you know, I, I travel a lot, so... When I'm in airports, I got to get my pandemic and my ghost stories on. It's got to happen. No, I have no problem with it. I mean, we've discussed (laughs) the podcast before that the only way I play Sentinels at this point is using the app. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Don't blame you. (laughs) And I just have to say, each time I keep looking through this Kickstarter and that picture of Wilhelmina uh, Harker keeps popping up with the creepy green Mm -hmm. glowing purple eyes. Every time I go by that, it's so striking, that one. Oh, yeah, it is. And, and you yeah, know, it's one of our favorites. It is, and it, it's sort of a, a happy accident because the first draft of that was a lot more obviously vampiric. You know, there was sort of a red background, and uh, we were like, it, we want something more otherworldly, you know, and something that immediately connects with her sphere of influence, which is actually politics. So uh, Ian turned that into us, and we were both just like, oh, Ian, you nailed it. You nailed it. I was going to say, that looks much more occult-like than politics. Uh, it, do- <laughs> it, it does, but it's it's like that perfect marriage, right? Because she's both. Fair enough. Do any of the other characters also have that sort of creepy style almost? We, we just got uh, art that we will feature in the second campaign for Jekyll and Hyde, and... It's one of my favorite illustrations he's done. It's it's fantastic. Definitely creepy. I, I know well, for me, w- seeing the design of the cards and the style, I I saw that one of the first things I saw was the card art for Mastermind of the Henchmen mm-hmm. and how that's built up. I'm a fan of a lot of the things that Ian O'Toole has done in the past, and I think that those two cards especially really are very well designed, very well put together. Yeah. Totally agree. I I, you, I think you're probably talking about the one with the Pharaoh who's the who's reaching out towards <laughs> the the viewer. I think that's a great one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got we got new pieces. We can't wait to show on the relaunch. There's there's one. There's a plot called uh, Deployment of a Doomsday Device, and it's this creepy picture of this beam, this unknown beam coming out of the top of the the clock tower with Big Ben, and all these tendrils reaching down into London. It looks super creepy. Sounds exciting. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing those those art when you guys get the Kickstarter put up in a couple of days. Yeah. And how much is the game going to be cost? Uh, the base game, the the base pledge is 49. So we're keeping it the same as the uh, initial campaign. With free shipping, I believe? Yeah, free shipping for US and then reduced shipping everywhere else. 
Very cool. Sounds very exciting. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it get dropped. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Julius. Thank you very much for coming on. Our pleasure. Today we're going to talk about Shadowrun Crossfire. This is a a deck-building card game that's sort of a a legacy game in that as you play, you're making permanent changes to your game. Now, we'll get more into that, but the the permanent changes are lighter than in other games. So, don't worry. Relax. (laughs) So, this game is is set in a a cyberpunk setting in, in the future. Um... However, there is magic in this world. They call it the sixth world, and something happened. Life was normal, our our world, and then somehow magic came into the world, and many people, humans, turned into dwarves or orcs or trolls, different races. And now there's also magical creatures, and oh yeah, it's also a cyberpunk setting, so everybody's hooked up to the net and jacking in and jacking out and fighting with guns and running corporate raids and all this. Um, what is cyberpunk? Cyberpunk is a a dark futuristic sci-fi setting. Um I think it was originally the coin was originally termed um what's his name? Not Bruce Sterling. Uh what's the guy's name? This is the sort of term I've always heard but never heard a good definition of and I really only know what it is by knowing things that have been included in it. So the term cyberpunk, I think, was coined by William Gibson. He wrote a series of uh, books set in the in the future. Um, th- these books were written in the either the late seventies or in the eighties, or they started coming out then. And um, so these settings have a very eighties mentality to them. It, it, the term punk is in the title because all the characters, everybody's very punkish. You know, a lot of black leather, a lot of that attitude, and spiky hair. That sort of thing would be in there. Um, it's a a dark future in which corporations have taken over pretty much the job of governments and people work for corporations for their entire life almost uh, as slave labor they get paid and you know they get treated pretty well if, if they have a decent job and whatnot but this is the world everybody lives in um there are people that live outside of this and they live on the streets and and they run illegal jobs and a lot of stuff and these are the punk folks. There's a little, the ability to get implants, like a better vision or arms with weapons in them, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's a very dark, gritty future. It's in it's a near future. It's not a far in the future. As a matter of fact, the the original cyberpunk game that came out was Cyberpunk 2013. In the far distant future, and you know, we all check into the net and live in virtual reality. That didn't quite happen, so then, well, back in around 90, they, they changed it to Cyberpunk 2020. But still a neat setting. Shadowrun, because I'm, I'm verging on a tangent here, Shadowrun originally came out in 1989 as a role-playing game. It was set in a, cyber, in a cyberpunk universe, again, but with fantasy, like I already described. Did you play the original role-playing game? I don't. You know, I had I had the game. We tried to make characters and play. I don't know that we ever actually played it, or if we did, we didn't play it much. It's been around forever, though. The game has, it has not really gone forever. away. Be, it has been around forever. I may be dating myself, um, but I actually played an old Shadowrun game on the SNES system. Yeah. Okay. I know that. I remember having one 
I think on uh, my Sega. So yeah, so they've been making vid- video games for digital video games and role playing games for the longest time, like tabletop role playing games. Um, it's still around, and there's still it's still being made by Catalyst Game Labs, um, which also makes some board games. The a friend, of, <coughs> excuse me, I know a friend of mine was playing recently, but so they came out with a card game in the same universe. And this is a a deck building kind of game. In it, you play four runners who are going in to do a mission. We're up to four. I guess you could play solo and you could play just one person. Though I've been playing four-handed game. Um, you're going to do a mission and you're going to try and, for example, one of the missions, um, you have broken into a place to do something, to do some sort of job, and things went bad and now... They're coming after you, and you try. You gotta try and survive for four rounds and get out. Uh, another mission: you, you need to rescue somebody that's working for a corporation that does not want to work for that corporation anymore for some reason, and wants to go change to a different company. In, in this dark future, if you're doing that, I mean, you, you don't really have the choice to quit. You you got to run and, and run for your life and hopefully get out. So in in this game, you're playing the people that help these guys out. Um, let me say the. So let me start with what's in the box. It's pretty interesting, I think. Actually, the you're gonna get all the cards that you play with. You're gonna get four large, or not four, but a bunch of large board for your character. There's there's probably like three or four orcs, three or four trolls, humans, elves, dwarves, and. I believe that's it. You get those five different races to pick from, but you have a few cards for each. The reason it brings so many cards, even though it's only a four-player game, is because as you play, you're going to write down your any points that you earn at the end of the game onto your card. And as you earn lots of points over multiple games, you could buy upgrades, which are actually stickers which you place on your cards. Um, so now your character is more powerful for future missions. And there's no way to make them. There's not like cards you can like hold on to. They're actual stickers that you're putting on your board. They are. Right? They are stickers. You peel them off the sticker sheet and stick them on your board. Now, I mean, if this is an issue for somebody and they feel really offended about using stickers, you could get around that. I mean, you could just write on a piece of paper and keep your track of your character on paper. I have seen that people have created card-sized characters that you could write on, so you're not damaging your your original game. Um, and it's not a lot of information that that you would track from game to game. So, really, paper would be easy enough to do. So, it's the stickers is really the biggest thing that you're having to change from game to game. Yeah, and it's not from, you know, I've played six games, and after the last game, I finally was able to purchase my first upgrades and put stickers. So, it's taken <laughs> a while, um, which I think is actually a really neat thing. Um, so, I mentioned you're going to have five different races to pick from, and then there's also four professions in the game. And these are basically be the four different decks you could choose from when you start for each of the players. One's a mage. You could actually cast spells and stuff. Another one... Shoot, I don't remember the names of these. A street samurai. This is a person who... who carries a lot of guns and weapons and does a lot of firefights. Um, a third one is a face... I think it's called the face. This will be the person that sort of... Honestly, I find this one a little bit harder to grasp. I think it's the person maybe running the job or the person that will be the, the front man on the job that would be interacting with all the clients or or whatever. 
And then the fourth one is, I think it's called the Decker. And this is the person that would jack into the net and hack computers and that sort of thing. Um, let me let me step back because I was going to tell you before. When you get the game, the, the box, when you open the box, you're going to find it has the rule book and a twenty like a 24-page book to describe the setting and the scene. And I find it really interesting. The book, you know, I have a feeling it's in there to, to help sell the role-playing game, to get people to want to buy the role-playing game. But it'll it has a story in there, sort of set the mood of how uh, one of these jobs might go. It has it describes the races and the history of the world, and it goes into a lot of detail for all, basically flavor text, twenty four pages of flavor text, which is which is interesting. Yeah, it's really neat. It's a neat idea to get you into the game. Now, now I will go ahead and uh, let you know that the game doesn't have any of that flavor when you play it. It's relatively dry, and the flavors lacking, so it's good that they provided the book for it. Does the mechanics? <laughs> does the mechanic of the it's, game help with the flavor? No, it's very abstract. The, you'll find the mechanics are very abstract. Um, mm-hmm. You're gonna get all the cards. You're gonna get that. You're gonna get some different tokens to track stuff. You're, there's also a an, an excerpt from an, an upcoming novel. The novel may be out already, set in the Shadowrun universe. And so again, that you know, that's more potential flavor text. Which which is neat that all this is in there. Um, so the way the game works, I, I mentioned there's four different roles that you could pick from. Each time you play, you assign a role to one of your characters. If you're playing with four characters, um, let's say like in, in my game, I've been playing with an elf, a human, a dwarf, and a troll. I could choose this this time I play. I may I say the troll's gonna be a street samurai. Next time I play, I may give him a different role. I may make him the uh, the decker. Just to change it there up. There always have to be all four roles in the game? If you're playing with four characters, yes. You could choose to play with less. You could choose to play with one. Um, I find that the game is light enough that using four is not hard, and the inter- interaction is interesting. It, it makes the game but What happens to the roles that aren't in the game? Like, if you don't use them? Yeah. Nothing. It, it, it might make it a little bit harder, but not necessarily. Um, okay. let, let me describe a little more. So, okay, go on. the, the, each row, let, let's call them from now on blue, green, black, and, uh, red. Red. Okay. <laughs> the, if you have the blue row, you can have four blue cards plus one each of the other three colors. So you're, you're starting to cast seven cards in it. The, the green row will be four green cards and one each of the three other three colors and so on. Um, the different decks do work a little bit differently when you play with them, but the starting cards are all the same. They each provide you one point of that color. When you start the game, and there's three different missions you could do. You pick which mission you want to do. I've only done the, I guess the introductory mission, the one supposed to be the easiest. And in that one, you're basically just trying to survive for four turns and then get out. Or three, three, not, three scenes it's called. Um... The way a scene works is you can draw cards from these um, from the obstacle deck, and these are the people that are trying to stop you from accomplishing your mission. Let's say your mission was to break into a corporation and steal some information and get out. Uh, you have not broken into the corporation, and these are the folks working for the corporation that are getting in your way. Um, and they may be people... 
inside the building that are doing security, or maybe there are people on the street that were chasing you and are, are now chasing you down the road or whatever. It's very abstract, so you have to use your imagination here to make it work in the scene in the game. Um, what each card basically has is along the top, it's going to have a bunch of symbols and numbers. The symbols correlate to the four colors you're playing, and the numbers are generic. Um, so your card may have a two in a circle, followed by a green, followed by three, followed by two, two black. Um, what this means that you have to play, like I said, two in the circle first, so you have to play two cards of any color, and you have now completed the first obstacle against that card. Then somebody's got to play a green card to complete the second obstacle of that card. Um, sometimes there'll be multiple symbols or numbers in a single group. Let's say it has a, a three and a red. I have to play a total of three points plus one red point to, to finish that next step. Um, so you're basically just playing cards matching the colors in the right order. And each person has an obstacle assigned to them, but you can also choose to target the uh, obstacles uh, on one of your teammates. You don't have to choose the one in front of you. Anyway, so on your turn, you're going to play some cards targeting some obstacle, maybe yours, maybe another one. Hopefully you get lucky or, or skillful and you kill one of them um, or more. If you do, that person is, that you killed is worth some points so or some money. You're going to collect money for that person. The way that works is interesting. Whoever killed the, that character gets, well, let's say the character you killed is worth five points. Whoever killed him gets the first coin and then going around the table in clockwise order, each character gets another coin. So if you really need money, you know, you may want to time it to let a certain character kill them so that your your player character could get more money as opposed to another one. Um, if you don't kill the character, then they do damage to you. You take uh, one or two points of damage. And then after that, you maybe draw up cards and buy cards. Any cards you buy go straight into your hand for the next round. So you need to go around the table like this playing cards and playing against your obstacles, your opponent, your, your teammates' obstacles, trying to get everybody, all the bad guys killed before they kill you. That That's the basic gist of the game. The Where are you buying cards from? There is a tableau in the middle of the table. There is six cards out that you could choose from each turn. It's called the black market. And it clears each turn? It doesn't clear. When you buy a card, you, you replace it. Ah. There's cards that let you replace them. And these cards you buy are going to be more powerful. The, um, for example, one of the cards I bought was called a monofilament whip. And that that's a black card that the street samurais would use. If you play that card, you could choose to draw any, any of the uh, obstacles towards yourself. So if maybe one obstacle is a little bit too strong for one of your teammates, because you have a weak teammate, you could maybe take it yourself and you could fight them. Uh, maybe because you have the right color cards. Uh, other cards might do extra. For, there's another black card. I don't remember the name. We'll say every other black card you play this turn now gets plus one. So you find that if you're the street samurai playing black cards, it it benefits a team for you to buy more of the black cards. And the mage should buy a lot of the blue cards and so on. Uh, some of the cards let you heal, some do extra damage. The mage ones tend to be a little bit more funky in the way they work. For example, they'll have you draw more cards from your deck, and, and if they're blue, then you get to do extra damage or something like that. Um, 
and, and as I said, buying the cards go they go into your hand. So so you want to buy the cards so the next time around you could use them again right away. And it makes the choices interesting. Trying to figure out which cards to buy based on not only what color they give you, but what special abilities they give you. What's this about a damage track for the cards? Yeah, okay, so your characters ha- have starting health. The Depending on your race, you're going to have a different amount of health. I think, for example, the the elves might only start with four health or three health, while the trolls, I think, start with five or six. So they could take a lot more hits. Um, you will take a hit every time your turn ends. If you still have an obstacle in front of you, that, that obstacle does damage. If Now, that's interesting. The way it works, if you get down to zero points you aren't dead you have to abort the mission because somebody's seriously wounded um all that means is if you survive the complete round with everybody else taking one more turn and nobody has died and you have at least one person that has not aborted the mission then you're able to get out not successfully you didn't win the mission but you you got out at least and you didn't get one point um one experience point that you'll be able to use towards buying card or stickers. And if a character dies, is that like permadeath? No, I have you know I haven't read that in the rules. I have never gotten that far into it. I I have <laughs> never died fa- on your watch. Nobody's died in my watch. I have found that when the when the mission fails and you have to back out like that, it isn't it usually isn't that hard to to survive for a round. Um you may have to be spend some time thinking about which cards you're going to play in which combination and that sort of thing. But I haven't had trouble surviving. Having at least so one you, character survive. So do you start with a brand new deck each time you play, or do you Yes. What exactly do you get to carry over? Just just the stickers and the experience points. Every time you play you have a brand new deck of just the starting seven cards. And where do you track the experience points? Um you write it on your character sheet at the bottom. There's a spot for, for writing that out. Oh um, Do you need to erase the last one each time you do that? Yeah, you know, so so I wrote it with a dry erase marker or a wet erase marker. Um, when I finally bought a sticker, I went to erase it, and it doesn't really come off for whatever reason. Maybe I use cheap markers. So now it looks like my character has a permanent three experience points. But ideally, I'd, I'd erase it. Otherwise, I have to scratch it off or something. Right? I mean, and, okay. and if that's an issue, just write it down on a piece of paper. Just jot down that number. Um, not a big deal. All you really have to remember is which character has the points. Now, what I think is interesting, I haven't really tried it, is the box brings a whole bunch of characters. And I'm playing with the same four over and over. I may choose to change. Maybe next time I don't want to take my troll and let me take somebody else in just to, to mix it up. Um, maybe I'll do that for the sake of the theme. Um, so over time, I could have different characters playing. Or maybe you know, maybe I'm playing with my son and my son really likes a specific character. So whenever he plays, he'll take that one in. And when somebody else is playing, they'll take different ones in. So potentially, over time, everybody levels differently. Is there a campaign that you're building up to, or are you just playing a bunch of individual games? You're playing individual games uh, over and over. You're doing different missions over and over. Um, You know, in theory, they're similar missions, but they're not exactly the same. It's common to go in and rescue a corporate executive that wants to leave the corporation, wants to defect. So that's um, one of the missions you could do. Um, So... Mm-hmm. So there's nothing you're really building towards. It's not like you're trying to get more powerful so you can take on the final boss or something it, well, like that. It, just... it, it, you are be in a because the the third mission you're actually fighting a dragon. 
And I haven't tried that at all yet. It says you need at least, uh, they recommend at least 70 points worth of upgrades in your team. I currently have 15. So I'm nowhere near close to that. So once you get 70, you can take on the final boss, which is the dragon. And if you beat the dragon, you restart? Um, I would probably either restart or keep playing for a while before I got bored of those characters. Um, there are expansions. There's at least one expansions come out now. Um, with three more, I'm not sure if it's three or five more missions, but it has more missions. So, hopefully those are a little harder. Oh, and there's also, when you play a scenario, you could adjust the difficulty. And if you make it more difficult, you'll get more experience points if you succeed. So it's up to you to figure out how you want to scale the difficulty. Mm Mm-hmm, that's right. That's right, which, you know, would make sense with some of the introductory missions. Like, I could play it, and I, I can now beat it easily. Well, say, maybe I don't want to go to the other mission. Maybe I like the f- the feel of this one. Let me do it again, but make it a little harder. Because, you know, you just think of it. I'm just breaking into a different company. This one's maybe harder because this company has more security or whatever. You just got to work with the theme that way. Now, the, the type of benefits the stickers give you are for... Let me see if I can remember. Some will maybe give you more starting money. Every character starts with money, and the amount you start with depends on your race. Um, so if you have a lot of money when you begin, you could start buying some of those better cards. The Some of the upgrades maybe give you one or two more money. depends on the level of the upgrade. Uh, another one gives you more starting health. I know there's one that puts an extra card into the, into the black market. So instead of there being six cards to buy from, there's now seven. Um, and, and different things like that. I believe the new expansion actually adds more types of upgrades. Is there any reason why they didn't just make those upgrades like cards that you can keep in an envelope with your character or something like that? No. My guess is, honestly, they're just sort of jumping on the uh, legacy game bandwagon. You know, that's popular right now, the the idea of destroying your game and permanently altering it. So, hey, let's, let's make a game like that. I don't know. I just don't feel like, to me, I mean, with other legacy games... I feel like there's enough mechanics that can't really be replicated without mm-hmm. having that. But, you know, Warhammer Quest, your characters level up and they upgrade and they get newer gear and they got better abilities. And there's a lot of things that change. And that could have been done with stickers and tearing up cards and permanent replacements and things like that. But there was no need. I mean, how many stickers come with a the game? There's what, 60 stickers you said? Yeah, something like that. It's got a bunch. And so I it could have had 60 mini cards instead of sticky 60 stickers or something like that. Yes. And you could have kept the mini cards instead. Yes. Though so I will tell you what, the the character sheet and the stickers makes it feel more like a role-playing game. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm surprised that it actually it feels different, and I like it that. And I'm enjoying it. I, it's not bothering me at all. Uh, you know, I could write it on a piece of paper, but I kind of like the idea of having a character in a character sheet. Mm-hmm. I see. I mean, I suppose this stuff bothers me a bit more because with Shabbos issues for me, that means that this sort of stuff, I can't play on Shabbos. I can't use stickers on Shabbos. I can't write stuff on character sheets on Shabbos. If I wanted to play it on my on Shabbos, I'd have to cut up the stickers and sort of just store the stickers with whatever character earned it. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to do something like that. Yeah, and you could do that. It'd be easy. Just stick it in a Ziploc bag or something. Yeah. And it... It would be. I think it would be easy to to accomplish that, and um, find another way to track experience. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you could use the knitting counters probably. The experience yeah. point seems to uh, be pretty low. I think the most expensive upgrades are about 20 points. So not too high. Yeah, so the knitting counters would work for that. Mm-hmm. And and if if you were using up your stickers and character sheets, you can buy an expansion that's just more replacement stickers and characters. So that's also worth mentioning. But I just feel like I just don't think the does the the stickers adds to the experience. I feel like like you're playing a role playing game. Mm-hmm. You're saying. I think so. Okay, I definitely think so. And you feel like it, it works well to have that. It adds something to the game. Yeah, I like that. I, I'm okay. excited about getting a new sticker and putting it on there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, like the last time I played, I, I finally I've been using the same characters, and everybody always gets the same amount of experience points. I finally had five points. I could upgrade everybody. I chose to upgrade three and leave the troll without any upgrades for a while so you could buy something more expensive. And, you know, the idea of doing that and saving up and for a better sticker is fun. And how hard is the game? Um, I have not won any games yet. Every single mission I have done, I have died and had to back out. And so okay. I only get one experience points. If I succeeded, I think it'd be two or maybe three, but I think it's two. I'm hoping that now that I've bought stickers, I could do better. Why do you think that is? Is it just a really hard game? I think it. I think it is really hard. Yes. Um, I, I think if you know what you're doing and you you understand the game really well, you could do better than I've been doing. Um, but there's definitely choices in it about who you're fighting against. When you got the four four opponents, which one you're fighting against? You know, which one do you kill first? And that sort of thing makes a difference. And it depends on, you know what cards you need to kill a certain opponent, how many cards, how much damage you're doing, do they have any special abilities? Some cards do have special abilities. So so that all that counts into it. One thing I never talked about, there's a... I forgot the name of the deck. There is a deck now, and it's like an event deck. At the beginning of each round, you flip over a card, and it changes the, the game for a round, sort of like in Warhammer Quest or Arkham Horror, one of these games. Um... And they'll do different things. Like last game I played, it said for for the next round, nobody could buy any cards, which is hmm. very frustrating. But fortunately, it only lasts a round. The next round, it says you have to discard a card from your hand, but you get one one money for it, one yen or new yen. Um, so it's interesting. Now, another thing that these cards do, as they get discarded out of the game, they're, they're put into, I forget what it's called. It's a discard pile. And some of the event cards will say if there's a, more than a certain number of cards in your discard pile, this card now has extra second effect. So they become even more dangerous. And it could be, you know, once there's two cards in the discard pile or maybe once there's six cards in the discard pile, it, it depends from card to card. And even some of the obstacles have this in them. Some obstacles get and so tougher. Those, and so those those events, the crossfire cards, those are called? Yes, those are the crossfire cards. Thank you. So the crossfire cards, the obstacle cards, those those can be really damaging and punishing you're saying that's where the difficulty's coming in yes okay and how punishing is the randomness for the game um i haven't found it too punishing the decks tend to be pretty small so so there's not a lot of randomness in the in your player decks and you don't buy a lot of cards in a game i'm finding you're buying maybe one card two of your lucky in a single round Sometimes less than that. So your deck is the obstacle. 
The op- what about in the obstacle and crossfire decks? Uh, so the way it's set up, when you play, you draw the f- each each scene. The, you draw the first obstacle, and the obstacle has a color. Um, if he's green, you play it on the on the character that is also green. So the the first obstacle matches the color. In theory, that means it'll be easier for that person to kill the first obstacle. It's, it's a smaller challenge. After that, you play them around the table in clockwise order, regardless of the color. So that makes it a little bit easier. Um, for the first character, the rest are a bit random. The There are simple and difficult obstacles. The first round, they're just the easy ones. The second, this we're seen, not round. The second and third scenes, you start adding more of these difficult obstacles. And, and they do make it a lot more harder. You need to play a lot more cards on them, and they tend to do more damage. So that's usually where I get in trouble. I find the first scene is usually pretty easy with the simple obstacles. It's after that when I have two or three cards on, on one character that it gets very challenging. I I don't think the randomness is, is that bad. I doesn't bother me. You know, it's like like all games, it makes it unexpected from, from game to game. I don't think the randomness is an issue, though. And yet you haven't been able to beat it once. No, but that that's okay because I'm buying upgrades, and if you could beat it too quickly, then the uh, the longevity of the game won't be as good. Mm-hmm. Right. How are the components, by the way? Um, th- they're fine. They're you know it's decent quality cards and all that. They're, they're not fantastic or top notch, but they're not bad either. And the art too. I like that it seems like the cards you can buy usually have like a full art with minimal amount of text on them. They look nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. All the, all the cards are like that. A lot, a lot of art, little text. Um, the art on the player cards is nice too. I, you know, I, I keep finding I wish that the, the art's focus on the character and I wish I could see more of the scene around it because it always looks really interesting. I want to know what's going on. I, I suspect the art is recycled from the RPGs or something like that, but I don't actually know if that's true or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been a lot of Shadowrun stuff, so mm-hmm. know. yeah, I, I think they rebooted in the last few years, and and it's been around forever. So there's just tons of material and art. Now I mentioned but you said a, it doesn't feel. Th- mm-hmm. You said it doesn't really feel thematic. It doesn't. Right? I mean, no, not at all. You're you're playing, and the idea is that you've gone into this mission into to a building to save somebody, and yet you're fighting against a a gang of street samurais on motorcycles. You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But you could also figure that it's not just that single mission where you're in the building. It's the whole lead up to that. You know, all the gathering information before you ever went in, you came across a gang. And, and so it fits that way if you think if you start thinking of that sort of thing. But really, it, it's it's a little bit of an abstract card game is what it is. Um, trying, to, trying to play the right combination of colors in the right order to, to defeat all the cards. Um, it, it's an interesting puzzle. I like. It. I mm-hmm. find I like that about it. Um, and I mentioned there's an expansion. the 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 expansion adds more character. Adds two more character classes. Now I don't have the expansion. I haven't played it, but it adds two rate classes, um, which are variants of the existing ones. There's, for example, a new type of sa- street samurai. Instead of you still start with seven cards, but now the distribution is different. You get three of one color, three of a second color, one of a third color, and none of the fourth color. Um, the, and apparently that expansion 
you know, I was reading about it, it makes the game less difficult. Um, less brutal. Which, you know, when I read that, I kind of don't want it. Like, you know, the, I don't want the game to get easier. If anything, I'd rather the expansion make it harder. But maybe that's just me. And you haven't picked up the expansion, you said? No, I haven't. No, you know, I, I've still got a lot of games of this one left, I think, before I ever need the expansion. Um, I've played it, like I said, six times, and I've only just bought my first set of stickers, so I'm, I'm sure I'm many games away from, from being at the point where I could beat the dragon. How easy was it to learn, by the way? Um, It wasn't too bad. I found the rulebook a little bit confusing, and, and I was sort of jumping through. There's... There's a, a learning section at the front where it just has you sort of walk through the rules a bit and, and doesn't have everything in it, but I didn't find it that hard. Though it helps that my first game was with some friends and they taught me to play already. So I, so I had a good sense of it a few months later when I went to play it solo. Um, but the game the game is easy to play. It's easy to understand. I don't like that some of the rules are in the scenario cards. For example, that first scenario... Uh, called Crossfire, where you're in the middle of a mission that just went bad, tells you how to set up the obstacles for the mission. Then when you play the second scenario, the card says, oh, check the first scenario for how to set up the the characters. You know, if this is something that you're going to do in every scenario, it should be in the rule book, not in the first scenario card. That, you know, that's a bit weird at best. So how much do you like the game? How much do you recommend it? I like it. I like it a lot. I definitely recommend it. I think it's an interesting game. I, I love the strategy and the puzzle in it. I like the theme a lot. I really do. I've always like I, I I admit I prefer Cyberpunk without the magic, but it's weird and quirky and, and yet it works. Why would you prefer without the magic? I you know, I always liked Cyberpunk when it, when I, I first heard of it back in the eighties and I thought it was really cool and, and I had played the original cyberpunk role-playing game by our Tessalorian games back in the 80s so you know I have a soft spot in my heart for it <sighs> <laughs> so I just I think I just prefer it that way that one was I don't much know. I, I like degree. I like the theme of cyberpunk with the magic I thought the Shadowrun I mean like I told you I've played some other Shadowrun video games a while ago not recently but i actually i like that theme of the magic and the cyberpunk i like the mix of it mm-hmm. it, it works it definitely does I, I granted it really sounds very disappointing to me that the game doesn't seem very thematic i mean i know you were you were writing that off that you know there's the whole adventure before you get up to it but you know unlike other games where you know, the the whole quest appears to be more epic. There's rooms, there's spaces, there's a progress that you're going for, but I'm not hearing that there really is that much of that feeling in the game. You just sort of have to wipe that all away. Yeah, that's what I'm finding, personally. The Because it, you know, it doesn't matter what the obstacle is, you're still playing the same sort of cards against it. Um, so, you know, it... I don't know. It's just, it's just it is. It's weird. I think it's a little bit uh, light there on the theme. But but if you're liking the setting, you know, I think what they want is for you to want to go and buy the role playing game. Then if you really want a lot of theme, 
Yeah, so you say the whole idea of the game is to sell you the role playing game? <laughs> Maybe so. I don't know. The I don't, I don't you know I don't think it would it would fit the same crowd. I don't know. I wouldn't expect it would. <laughs> but you know, I, I I know what you're saying. It's a shame that the the game doesn't have the theme in it so strongly. It does when you're playing it. The mechanics don't support the theme. The art does and all that, and I still enjoy it. I still like the fact that I'm saving up money and going to the black market to buy stuff. And I, I love that after missions I can do upgrades. So in that, there definitely is theme, just not in the details. Yeah, but those upgrades are from stickers. I know. I hear you talking <laughs> that it makes it feel more like a role-playing game. But you just told me that this isn't going to sell anyone on a role-playing game. It's not a role-playing game. It's not trying to sell anyone on a role-playing game. It's a board game. Yeah, you know, I I I I hear what you're saying, and you're right. I, it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, and, and yet it works for me. Okay. <laughs> I cannot explain it. I love that the rule book has a ton of, or there's a whole flavor text book in there, and then you're playing the game and it doesn't have the flavor. It, it, you like that? I, not, well, not that I like it. It doesn't bother me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't mind if it doesn't have the flavors. If the art evokes the flavor, I'm okay with that. It does. It but does. it has to be that the narrative, if you're trying to sell me a game based on narrative, the narrative has to flow. You know, another another idea is the Dresden Files game. There's a narrative to the game. There's something going on. I mean, granted, that's because they're already trying to go through the narrative of the book, but there's a narrative that's being sold to me. Here, it doesn't mesh internally, and that's, that's to me, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, but this, other games have the same issue. I, you know, most games, I think, other games do. to some point. Other, other games do, but other games are not trying to sell me on a narrative. For instance, if I open up Agricola, I'm not expecting to be sold on a narrative and a story. If you're telling me that I have a mission here, and this mission is this rescue dash thing where I'm trying to infiltrate a building. If you read me a whole set of paragraph texts about a mission, well, I want that paragraph text to make a difference. Mm-hmm. If my mission is get 10 points, okay, then I don't care. I'm just trying to march my way and I can make my own story. I'm fine with that if the mission would be get 10 points. But if you sell me a mission that's a story, I want that story to sort of live. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. The and you know if they had done little things, I think that would have been easy to to resolve. For example, maybe like um, like uh, have you played Thunderstone? Yes. Okay, you know how w- when you go into the dungeon, you pick three three decks of villain types, and, yeah. and so it's totally random the, the the types you get, but at least each pack makes it internally consistent, and so there's less variety and it's not as random. If they'd done something like that. And sort of tied in with the mission, it would have made a huge difference. Yeah, I think that's all they would really need to do. Say, if your mission is going into a building, maybe the characters you're fighting against are a little more corporate. Um, if your mission is out in the streets of the city where it's a little grimier and grungier, then maybe guys on motorcycles would make sense. And I mean, Mistfall also does that nicely because in Mistfall they have those locations that you're going through. So if you if in Mistfall you go to a location that is in the Deadlands, for example, you'll only draw cards and you'll only keep cards with the Deadlands quote with the Deadlands um, keyword on it. 
And that's a great way of making sure that it's tied into the location that you are. You're not going to, you're not going to walk into the Deadlands and finally find, you know, a stork or something. I don't remember all the <laughs> enemies there, but you're not going to find something that fits into the city. You're not going to find a, a city thief in the Deadlands because it doesn't have the icon mm-hmm. to it. So it's not going to get pulled up. And so that makes sure that you're, you're, theme is staying consistent in what it is that you're drawing and how it is that you're playing it out and there's nothing pulling you out of that which i mean i can't comment on the mechanics of the game i've heard from some other people that the game is really punishing and randomness i can't comment on that because i haven't played it i can just trust you on that but i can comment at least from what you're telling me about the theme and to me at least that just seems jarring Mm-hmm. yeah i see yeah i i can't argue there that, that was my personal experience. It's a little bit weird how the theme doesn't match so well based on based on those cards. But as an abstract, it's still a lot of fun, you're saying? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like I said, okay. I like the game. I'm happy with it. I, I don't regret it at all. I wish the theme was more there, but, you know, I'll still play it happily. Cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, other than that, it's basically complete. It can't be complete. I don't believe that for a second. But- You think it needs something? Of course. I mean, after all, what's it missing? (laughs) What is it missing? This game is missing something. (laughs) Which reminds me, you didn't do the survey. My apologies, listeners. <laughs> what one time I'm going to remember to do that. It'll be your legacy. Yeah. And again, we're we're uh we're starting to use up a lot of our words, so we could really use some more words being posted. Yeah. And you know, y- your your foible is that you forget to post those. Mine is worse. Mine is I forget to send out the dice. You know, so I really need to to get my list of names together and send them all out. Alright, so in that case I guess we just have to figure out who's going first and who's going second. You know what, Albert, I think you've won more games, so why don't you go first? Okay, what's my word? I'm ready. Um, your word is going to be hot air balloons submitted by Lynn. Oh yeah, this game needs more hot air balloons. Um, <laughs> Wait just a second, and then my word huh. um, is going to be submitted by Mo. Again, thank you, Mo. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, it's astronauts, which actually isn't so bad. <laughs> so, um, do you want to go first or second, Albert? Yeah, I'll go first. All right, ready, set, yeah. go. All right, so this game needs more hot air balloons. Um, for example, in one of the missions, you're breaking into a high-rise building and, and saving somebody. And, in the, for example, in the flavor text in the, that came in the book, it tells you how a helicopter comes in and shoots all these people down and saves a day. How about if it was a hot air balloon instead? Would that be awesome or what? Stop. Uh, tricked out? Ah. Uh. <laughs> Where is my time? Let me find my stopwatch. I can just hit start on mine. Well, go ahead. Whenever you So... The game definitely doesn't need any more hot air. I think Albert's talking about it has already put enough hot air into it. Instead, I think that if we can take it Ouch. to space, take it to the final frontier, add a bit more sci-fi, take off, blast off, we can have fights and astronauts and space stations and running around to really expand the theme and get to the next frontier, it'd be even better. There you go. There we go. <laughs> you get a rebuttal. <laughs> go. In space, nobody could hear you scream. 
but that was lame. <laughs> that was really random too. Yeah. Not, not nearly as bad as my uh is <laughs> <laughs> my sideways swipe. <laughs> Gosh, you know, I feel kind of bad because it occurs to me that in uh, my hot air balloon uh, rant, I, I gave some spoilers away for that flavor text story. Isn't that, doesn't that come out when you see it and when you start? When you read the story, it's probably like 10 pages. I, I you know, I gave away a big reveal toward the end of the story. I hear. So you're saying we need to put up a spoiler alert at the beginning? Yeah, I think so. I don't think we need to do that. I'll do it anyway. <laughs> All right, good luck with that. That you know, that's don't listen to Albert. Spoiler alert: If you're gonna get this game, don't listen to Albert. Just go ahead and vote for him. <laughs> hey, <that> no. <laughs> well, maybe not. But don't vote for him. But spoiler alert, nonetheless. Yeah, if we ever review Pandemic Legacy, we'll have to have like big spoiler alerts going. Yeah, I. I'm not gonna play it. You're not going to play it? I don't. I just don't see it happening. Oh, okay. I, I, a friend of mine was telling me about it. He's playing it, and he was telling me some of the stuff in it. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we're playing it, too. Are you? Okay. How Maybe. far into it are you now? Uh, April. Okay. Actually, we just beat April, so we're up to May. Cool, okay. And you're happy with it so far? Yeah. Exciting. It's good fun. You, you're, ready good for, fun. you're waiting for the next one. Yeah, uh, that, that was what I got for my birthday. Neat. Pandemic Legacy, so okay. we're playing that. Excellent. Happy All right, Albert. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was like two weeks ago. I know. <laughs> All right. Uh, yep, so that's the show. We'll talk again in a few weeks. Thank you very much. Bye, all Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DonPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening. All right, are you going to yell at the people again? <laughs> Shadowrun! <laughs> oh, I, I haven't... You know, we should keep doing that until somebody complains about it. <laughs> I think you should probably just put that in the end of the podcast and come up with something a little bit better for the beginning. Yeah, we'll, we'll start doing that for every game. <laughs> Carcassonne! <laughs> until people complain. <laughs> I've complained. Oh, yeah. You don't count. You're a host. Darn it. <laughs>